coming up in this episode of an older gay guy show. So I kind of partied that night. I mean, I hit some of the raunchiest bathhouses I could find, and I just really carried on. Happy holidays, my friends. On today's show, I have part four of the five-part series from Sergeant Ron about his life in the military as a gay man in the 1980s. In this episode, he talks about his escapades in Turkey and tells us some funny and hot experiences that I know you will enjoy. Part 5, which is the conclusion of the series, will be out at the end of this month. And I have some extra interview material that I'm going to put together as an episode for my 2021 sweeps period next August. For anyone new to my show, the material provided by Sergeant Ron is pre-recorded. I gave him some basic questions and guidelines, and then I just let him tell his tales in his wonderful storytelling way without interruption. I will be back at the end of the show to wrap up and give you a preview of Part 5. The title of this episode is Interview Sergeant Ron Gay Military Life Part 4. I am Joey Hernandez. Thank you for joining me. The Twisted Love Glass Dildo. First of all, why am I so obsessed with doing dildos on the commercials here? I'm not a bottom. I don't think I own a dildo. But they intrigue me. Some of the stuff that Adam Mill has just freaking intrigues me. So here's the Twisted Love Glass Dildo. Designed to drive you both wild, this exquisite glass double-ended dildo will bring you both to new levels of pleasure. The twisted love glass dildo offers four stimulating features in one. Prostate stimulator, a plug-shaped end, blue swirl texture, and temperature-retaining glass construction. The main shaft is gently curved to drive him wild. The plug-shaped shaft for stretching your back door. Raised blue swirls run up both shafts for maximum pleasure. Temperature-retaining glass to intensify every experience with a tapered tip for earth Shattering prostate pleasure. Beautiful blue swirl textured ridges twist along both shafts to increase stimulation. The handcrafted shatter resistant glass naturally retains temperature so you can heat it up for sexual massage or cool it down for nipple raising thrills. You can also just pop it in the dishwasher. Hey, Ma. Hey, can you empty the dishwasher for me, please? Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. 
And as a listener of An Older Gay Guy Show, AdamMail.com is offering you a very special deal. You can get almost any one item at 50% off, and that includes free shipping right to your door. Simply use the discount code AOGGS, we all know this, once again, which stands for An Older Gay Guy Show. Use AOGGS at checkout for your special deal. AdamMail.com has got you covered for stocking stuffers or other stuffers. That's AdamMail.com, A-D-A-M-M-A-L-E dot And now, without any further ado, here is Sergeant Ron. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was how I almost ended up in the French Foreign Legion. It's not so much on the sexual side, but still, I enjoy uh, thinking about it and uh, how I almost ended up living in France rather back in the USA. Basically, what had happened was while I was stationed in Europe, there in the Netherlands, you know, I really loved being in Europe. I really did, especially where I was. I mean, I, I just was so happy, but I had run into a problem because, see, the Vietnam War had ended, and good old Jimmy Carter there was cutting the military to shreds. Hard to believe he was a, a Navy man, but every time he couldn't get a, a program or something, the money for it, he usually took it out of the military's hide. And I am convinced that had he won re-election, uh, our military might have been gone down to second or even third as far as, uh, you know, the power race and everything. And, but luckily he didn't win. And uh, what had happened to me was the fact that I was up for uh, re-enlistment. Unfortunately, they had put up a new rule about you had to be of a certain rank when you reach so many years and everything. I happened to be in a career field that had a very one of the worst reputation as far as promotion went. If I wasn't of a certain rank when I was up for uh, reenlistment, they, I mean, you did, you got an honorable discharge. It's just they didn't let, allow you to reenlist. So I was extremely depressed over that because, of course, I didn't want, I, I wanted to stay in Europe as long as I could. So I thought, well, if they're going to kick me out anyway, why not go into the French Foreign Legion? Now, in Europe, uh, with the exception of the uh, UK, in Europe, if you want to join the military, uh, they don't have recruiting stations like they do in this country. Rather, if you want to go into the Navy, then you go to a Navy base. If you want to join the Army, you go to an Army base, if you, you know, depending on what you're interested in. And usually the base will have a recruiter on it. In the case of the uh, French Foreign Legion, I had to go to their where their basic training was. I can't remember the name of it right now. But what happened, basically, is when the list of people that had gotten 
promoted, and this was on, it came over the teletype machine. And basically, when I saw the list, I saw that I had not been promoted, so I knew they would not allow me to re-enlist. So I decided that I would, uh, when my enlistment actually ran out, I would just sort of slip over to the French Foreign Legion and see if they would take me. And, um, of course, the um, French Foreign Legion uh, doesn't take somebody who's active duty uh, from a, another country, um, especially places such as the United States and everything. They have an agreement there. So I thought, well, I'll do everything. You know, I was going to try to do everything I could, find out what paperwork they needed and so on and so forth. But needless to say, I was somewhat depressed that I hadn't made the uh, re-enlistment, so I kind of partied that night. I mean, I hit some of the raunchiest bathhouses I could find, and I just really carried on. And uh, when morning came, to quote one friend, I smelled like a whore. (laughs) It was sort of a no-holds bar for me. And then, so I went home. I already knew which trains and buses to take, and I had happened to have that day off and everything, and I went in to take a shower and all that, get cleaned up for my trip into France and everything, and talk to the French Foreign Legion and see what all I needed and possibly find out if I could pass their tests and that type of thing. And I was like within an hour of leaving, and then... All of a sudden, I hear a knock on the door, and uh, which kind of surprised me because it was early in the morning and everything, and it turned out to be my boss, the um, RAF, the Royal Air Force and everything. He was a warrant officer, and he came in. He had this really serious look on his face, and he says, you know, we've been looking for you all night. And I was thinking, now, I did not breathe a word about this to anybody, Yes, I asked one German soldier who happened to have a brother-in-law that was in the uh, French Foreign Legion what it was like and all this. But other than that, I never ever. And I thought, oh, my God, the jig is up. They're going to you know, put me in irons and send me back to the States or something like that. But fortunate for me, he couldn't hold the serious look. He just started bursting out laughing. He says, well, you made it. He says, you made the promotion. And I said, no, I didn't. My name was not on the list. Well, what happened was when the list came out, it was on a Friday afternoon. And the teletype operators, who were all civilians, even though they did know that we're all waiting to see who was on the the promotion list, as soon as it came through, they shut their machines down. And they didn't uh, look for the words index. That meant the end of the the message there they just were in a big hurry i guess they had to party that night and everything and then they went ahead and posted on the bulletin board who had gotten promoted and my name wasn't on it well come monday morning when they came into work they turned their teletype machines on well if a message comes through while the teletype machine is off what it does it just saves it in a memory And then the first time it's turned on, then it spits out the message. And in my case, my name was at the end of the list. And apparently it 
they didn't stick around to make sure that that was the, the complete message and everything. So I was a little bit late in being no notified and everything, but still my boss was very curious about where I had been all night because I had the kind of the reputation of being, you know, I was known to be very religious and everything. And it was like, where could you have been? <laughs> I only told him nearly 40 years later. He's now lives in uh, New Zealand and uh, he's retired, of course. And uh, so I, uh, on Facebook, I told him, did you ever wonder where I went sometimes when I disappeared? <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> and then he sent me back a message. I knew it all the time. But that was a funny thing. Anyway, I was like within one hour of leaving, of starting the procedure to join the French Foreign Legion. And I used to tease my mother, you know, had things gone that way, who knows? I might be talking French to you rather than English. And so, Joey, I might be talking to you now with a French accent, had things gone the other way. But as a side note, some 40 years later, I, well, I can't say that 20 years later, I should, well, not even that, 10 years later, I'm sorry. You know, I was involved with Desert Storm. I was over in Saudi Arabia. And guess who I got to work with for about two months? The French Foreign Legion. So I remember I would stare at them thinking I could have been one of them. I could have been walking around wearing one of those cappy hats and everything. And I have to tell you a funny story about that. For some oddball reason, they did not want me to talk to any of the enlisted personnel. I was only to talk to uh, the officers in the French Foreign Legion. I'm not too sure why. And it just so happens two of them were Americans. And strangely enough, they, well, they didn't know each other before they joined the uh, French Foreign Legion. But both of them had been in the U.S. Army. And both of them had been, uh, were from the Bronx. So it was kind of amusing a little way, uh, a ways because they'd be talking in French and everything and spitting it out like, like they had been born in France. But whenever they went to speak to me in English, they had these really heavy, heavy, you know, Bronx accent and everything. And sometimes I, I would say, say to them, say it in French. I think I might be able to understand it better. But they, they weren't real friendly, though. They kept telling me how stupid the Americans were, and that's why they joined the French Foreign Legion, because they wanted to be part of something that was, you know, first class and everything. And, but I just thought I'd mention that as a side note. I could have ended up in France instead of New Mexico. Something I forgot to mention in... Uh, Turkey, the communal bath that I was talking about, and I guess we could call it the Turkish bath. The Turkish word for it is um, hamam. And uh, as I was saying, I had gone to a hamam in Ankara. Now, I was used to the, the saunas and everything in Europe. I mean, uh, they think nothing of it. You know, a guy takes all your clothes off, and you go right into the sauna there, you know, 
naked as a blue jay. And sometimes, and some of them, it's you even have women. Everybody's laying out there naked and everything. Nobody thinks anything of it. Well, I went to this one hummum in Ankara, and uh, I ca- kind of noticed it was a little more, shall we say, modern than your usual, typical, traditional hummum. And they happened to have a sauna. So without thinking, I took all my clothes off. And I walked in there bare-ass naked, and there was about 10 Turkish men in there. And, of course, they all stirred up, you know. I couldn't have done any better if I had just suddenly passed hair or something. And one of them started yelling at me. Now, I knew just enough Turkish to realize he was telling me that he was the chief of police of Ankara. And they didn't do things like that here. So, of course, I ran out put my towel around me and went back in. And then everybody was just sort of grinning there the whole time I was there, you know, laying there in the sauna and everything. And he seemed to appreciate it. But I always thought I could tell he was talking business with the some of the other guys he was with. So I thought, ooh, I hope those weren't <laughs> policemen or something and they would arrest me or something. So, but... I did go to a gay hammam in uh, Istanbul. Quite a fascinating story, really, about how I found it. In the, well, I mean, I had a, a listing of gay places in Turkey, but how I managed to find it was a, quite an experience, and it was also quite an experience. It was an old, much older hammam, so they followed the traditional ways and everything. They have procedures that. Like I said, go back, you know, hundreds of years and everything about the proper way that you should bathe in these bathhouses and everything. However, what was fascinating about this particular one, if two men wanted to get together, it wasn't considered all that mad. However, uh, they still followed the rules of masculinity. So if you were, uh, shall we say, a top and probably... Uh, you had it made, so to speak, because if you did it out in the open or something, the guy that was the sub would be sometimes asked not to come back. They wouldn't say anything to the guy that was the, the top, but if you were the the sub, you know, that was considered a real sad thing. And, you know, you, you weren't considered a real man and everything. So it was kind of interesting, you know. The other thing that was kind of interesting was the fact that okay yeah if the two of you wanted to do something and the sub wanted to didn't want to get thrown out of the place well they'd have to find a secluded place and that wasn't always easy there it was a big place but to find a secluded place and then something else i wanted to mention was that of course in turkey being a muslim country pornography was outlawed and everything but of course the americans <laughs> soldiers and everything would have to have their pornography and everything so they brought the at that time it was vcrs and everything with them and where i was at on top of this mountain we had a little miniature theater it was for the americans and everything and it was kind of nice it we could either watch uh vcrs and we could also watch uh some of the latest movies on 16 millimeter. And uh, it was all set up real nice and everything. And when somebody brought in the uh, pornography, though, and be 
watching everything. Sometimes the uh, Turkish soldiers, sometimes the um, Turkish civilians that worked there because we had uh, different civilians like custodian, you know, building custodians and all that that were civilians. And they would sometimes sneak in the back, you know, because they like to watch. I, I think for some of them, they probably never seen anything like it before. I don't know. And uh, one time I was sitting there and I had to, you know, somebody put on a porn film and I really didn't want to watch it, you know, because it was a man and woman, but I guess part of the status quo or something, you know, so I'm you know, wait for the next movie to play. So I was sitting there watching it and I heard some commotion going back behind me. So when I turn, I've been told about this, but I really didn't believe it. Right? But what I saw was an older Turkish civilian who happened to be our cook, by the way. A real nice guy and everything. And he was struggling with one of the uh, kitchen help, as we call them. And he was a young man, not real young, but young man. And he, uh, the guy was uh, forcing him. Well, the, the, the cook already had his pants down, pulled down to his knees and everything. And he was trying to, uh, trying to pull the pants down of this kitchen help. Now, they weren't yelling or anything and stuff like this. They were just sort of struggling and basically made him sit on it. And uh, it was somewhat, I, I just couldn't quite get it because the guy wasn't, you know, he wasn't upset or anything. He looked really annoyed, you know, because the, the cook had him by the, the waist and everything. It was kind of bouncing him up and down and everything. Not real hard, but. Uh, you could tell he was having a lot of fun, and but both of them, both the cook and the kitchen help, were still staring at the the movie that was in front of them. And the American GI next to me kind of poked me in the ribs there and whispered to me, "Eyes front." And then after it was all over and everything, uh, this was the interesting part too. Both the American guys and, I mean, military, and then some of the Turkish soldiers explained to me that, okay, um, you know, the cook got really, you know, horny and everything watching the, the porn there, and they said this wasn't the first time. He just grabbed this one particular cook and, and just had him, you know, relieved himself on it, you know, pleasured himself, whatever you want to call it. And in a way, the the, the kitchen help was looked down upon because he, if he was protecting his manhood and everything the way you're supposed to, it just wouldn't happen. He, the cook would have had to grab somebody else or something. But, you know, it was kind of funny because I was reassured more than once that the cook would never, ever, you know, lay a hand on American because they know they'd get all kinds of trouble for that. It was just, it was just their system of code and everything. I mean, for a country that outlawed being gay and that you could, like I said, a minimum of two years, but yet it was okay for one guy to, to you know, take down the other one, you know, and they, and the victim, you know. <laughs> was considered at fault and everything. That was the amusing part. Another thing that happened to me while I was in Turkey is I got called in one time into the headquarters building, and they sat me down, and they said, well, 
we've gotten reports that you hang out with the Turkish soldiers. And I said, well, yes. And they said, well, we want to encourage that. You know, Americans, we always try to build up a good rapport with the local nationals, as we call them, and everything. And they said, uh, you know, that they were very pleased when they got the report. However, they were a little bit worried. And they said, you know, that you would never get raped or anything. And it was like, my ears, of course, perked up. It's like, why are you talking about rape and stuff? And they kind of asked me if I was aware of the fact that in the, you know, in the Turkish military and everything, sometimes they take a soldier down a notch or two, you know, make him, you know, bend over or something like that or that type of thing. And, um, you know, I heard rumors about it, I, you know. Uh, that type of thing. And they said, well, we just want you to be aware that if this really bothers you, then you shouldn't hang around them and everything. We just, and they said, the other thing is, is if somebody who outranks you makes a pass at you, you can't complain. And so, of course, I think I should have won the, an Oscar for this, for my performance, because I had to act like, oh, I was all scared, you know, I was shaking. I, uh, you know, had almost let, you know, like, uh, oh my God, do you think they're going to rape me and stuff like this? And then deep down inside, I'm saying, oh, there's that lieutenant I want so bad. I think I could have really, really gotten into trouble sometimes in Turkey because, of, but it, it was kind of interesting and everything, you know, their their values and all that. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying anything like that. Like I said, this is ideas that go back before the time of Christopher Columbus and everything, and and yet they have such strict rules. I will tell you one more story though. One time I was watching Turkish TV, you know, I was trying to pick up, you know, the lingo and everything. And they had it like a variety show. And during the show, in walked this very plumped man who I take was sort of like a comedian and everything. And the Turkish soldiers all start getting very, very um, excited around me and they, um, and the guy was uh, very effeminate, you know, he was acting, you know, very, well, he, he could have been a Turkish Benny Hill, if you know who he is and everything. And, and of course I didn't understand one single joke he was saying, but after the show was done, the Turkish ex soldiers explained to me that he went in and actually had the chop, you know, he had a, sex change and everything and that it's which is illegal in turkey and that he i guess he went all the way i think it was switzerland but he went to some place in europe had the operation and when he came back just as he stepped off the plane they had the police there waiting for him already and he was put into prison for about two years and after two years he was let out and then he went on his uh Mary Way is, uh, I guess, a Turkish comedian and everything, you know. And, uh, I, you know, I kind of looked at my the Turkish soldiers and I was looking at them and I said, so why are you pointing this out to me? <laughs> is there something I need to know? <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was uh, 
my whole stay in Turkey, and I enjoyed my stay there. It was a very learning experience about how customs and everything in regards to being gay and everything can be quite different. Uh, it was so exciting being in the military and then traveling overseas and, you know, being with the other NATO countries and everything, the different militaries. But I have to tell you something, uh, Joey, is that it was almost to the point where I was so ashamed of our country about how we treated the gays in the military. I mean, all these other countries, they didn't even give a second thought, you know. They, but yet the Americans had this horrible reputation to, about our gays and everything. But at the same time, uh, you know, America was supposed to be the, the land of the free and we were supposed to be the shall we say, set the standard for everybody else, and yet we had this horrible attitude about gays in the military. But believe it or not, I found a NATO country that was more paranoid about gays in the military than the Americans, and it was quite uh, surprising who it was and everything. But being in, in NATO and everything like this and I got a lot of invites by the other uh, military uh, from other countries and everything. And it, it could be anything from like shooting out on a uh, firing range with German soldiers and everything. And they would see if you could uh, beat their scores and everything. And you would actually get German awards if you beat the the scores and everything. And that was always interesting. And then, of course, there was the this march that the Dutch military did, it was something like you had to do a hundred miles in four days and you had to wear a backpack. And if memory serves me correct, it had to be something like 40 pounds. And, and uh, it was a big to do about that. And you got all kinds of awards if you could make it all the way to the end and everything. And then, all kinds of athletic events that were sponsored by the different nationalities and everything. And, of course, there was a big thing about, let's see if the Americans can beat us or not. But one of the other things I loved was the fact that I got all sorts of invites to various social events by the different uh, military organizations. And on top of that, I also got invites from different uh, embassies, and that was fun. You know, you felt just like a diplomat and everything, rubbing elbows with all the biggies and everything. And was, uh, well, what I was going to talk about was the fact that I got an invite one time to attend a British dining out. Now, yes, there is such a thing as a dining in, which is extremely formal. And then there's a thing called a dining out, which is also very uh, formal. However, it is supposed to have a lot of fun, and it's interesting how you go about it. I had to wear um, my uh, equivalent to a military uh, tuxedo. I had a black tie on and cummerbund and white gloves, and everything had to be perfect on me, and as far as my ribbons and all that. And, and uh, you went in. It was a real formal banquet, actually. And I, if memory serves me correct, there was about maybe 400 people in this gigantic um, banquet hall. 
in these long rows of tables with table cloths on them and table linen and all that. And they had these, it was really, I mean, the stuff you saw in movies and stuff, it was so formal. And there was a certain way that you had to approach to your seat and all this. And of course, everything had a place marker. You had to sit at the right location. The British, of course, are very rank conscious and everything and depending on how important you were was how close you were toward the front where the host which was usually a general would be sitting and everything and uh, of course there was a all kinds of things from how you opened up your napkin and placed it on your lap to um, how you picked up the water your water goblet to even um, you better make sure that you pick up the right fork or the right spoon for whatever meal you're eating and everything. And everybody's watching everybody else. And as soon as there was an infraction, uh, what would happen is the person that noticed the infraction would suddenly stand up and come to attention and then ask the host if he could speak to him. Of course, everybody's listening in. And then once the host granted you permission, then you went ahead and reported whoever it was that, shall we say, uh, made some kind of infraction, like put his elbows on the table or dropped his fork or something. I mean, it was, and then either the host or the person that observed the infraction and reported it would come up with some sort of a punishment. Now, sometimes, yeah, sometimes a punishment was just a slap on the hand or something or just just the embarrassment alone i think was was <laughs> some you know we're all watching each other you know see who who's going to make mistake and everything and then however this there was this one army us army captain that walked in and his zipper was down on this beautiful uniform and oh they had a field day with him of course, I was kind of whispering out, you know, make him take his pants off, make him take his pants off. And and then I got a lot of dirty looks on that. That So I, I, I switched and I said, well, spank him at least. Spank him hard, you know. <laughs> and, uh, well, uh, there was another very popular punishment was what was called the grog bowl. And what it was, there was a table that was set up separate from everybody else, and it had nice white linen on it and everything, and it had what was looked like a gigantic punch bowl. And in it was something that looked and smelled horrible. The Brits would never tell us what it was actually in there and everything. I, I even went as far as to ask somebody, do you think there's motor oil in there? But it was supposed to have all kinds of, you know, alcoholic beverages and everything but they were to make it taste as horrible it was as it was and if you got sent to the grog bowl what you had to do well you had to march over to it and then there were these glasses you had to grab and then you had to pour yourself the liquid from the grog bowl into your glass and you better not even so much as has a drop fall on the the linen or the floor or anything or it was curtains for you and everything. And uh, what you had to do is you made an about face, and then you had to hold the 
the glass up high so everybody could see you, and then you had to do what was called a salute. And what you did is you had to address the different important people there, and then you had to make some sort of uh, of toast to something. Now, the Brits, of course, usually said, God save the queen or something like that, but you had to say it in the right order. And then what you did is you took the drink and you had to drink it all down with one gulp. And then when you were done, you held the glass up again for everybody to see, and then you put it upside down on your head, which meant if there was any more liquid in that glass, it was going down your head and everything. And it was uh, quite interesting because sometimes if you didn't do the salute correct, or let's just say suddenly there was some liquid going down your forehead or something, they made you do it again. And uh, I remember there were a few people after about the fourth time, weren't standing anymore. And of course, everybody's enjoying it. It's all done and fun and everything. And uh, well, what happened was that uh, right in the middle of this banquet, this particular British organization or this British military unit, I should say, would have what was called the Three Ugly Sisters. Now, I have no idea why they call it the three ugly sisters. I mean, they tried to explain it to me, but it made absolutely no sense to me. But what they did is they would have about, in this case, they had about 20 British soldiers who were in the back there, and they actually had them get up and drag, and they were presented up on the stage. Okay, the curtains would come back, and you'd see these supposedly 20 drag queens and everything. And this was a custom, apparently, that went back all the way to the time of the First World War, where the British soldiers would be in the trenches and everything for something like months on end, and they wouldn't see a woman and everything, and it was considered um, okay if some of the guys put a dress on and everything. And I remember seeing these old historical photographs uh, showing some British soldiers loading up a cannon and everything, and some of them were wearing dresses. <laughs> they had their helmets on and everything, but they were wearing uh, dresses and everything. So it was like, pass the ammunition, sweetheart, or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, it was a custom that went back all the way to World War I. And what they would do is they would make these 20 soldiers come down the stage and start uh, wandering up and down the different aisles there so that everybody could see them. And what they did, though, is they stuck in one actual female. And the contest was to see if you could pick out who the actual female was. And to tell you the truth, I mean, a lot of these guys, you could tell they put a lot of work in it because it was even for me, it was pretty difficult and everything. And being a guest and also being a Yank, of course, I was asked to pick out who might be the actual woman. Now, I did see one particular gal that had incredibly beautiful legs. You know, and it was, she was wearing a mini dress and everything. And I says, well, it has to be that one. Because, you know, the other guys were kind of wearing stuff that kind of 
hid whatever it was they were wearing, you know, had underneath and everything. And this one wasn't too shy about showing off her body. And what I didn't know is two of the soldiers in there were Americans. <laughs> I didn't. And wouldn't you know it, I picked out the one American and everything. And boy, oh boy, you should have heard the cat calls and the murmuring that went on, you know, about the fact that I picked out the one American there. And no, <laughs> I didn't find the actual female and everything. I think everybody failed on that, if I recall. They, you know, in the end, they had to reveal her identity anyway for missing the wrong person and everything. Earned me a trip to the Grog Bowl. And uh, I couldn't taste anything in my, in my mouth for something like a week and everything. That's pretty horrible liquid, but I did manage to get the salute correct and everything. It was just that when I started walking back to my seat, I had some problems getting there. <laughs> it was pretty powerful stuff and everything, you know, but anyway, the person that I thought was the actual woman who turned out to be um, an American soldier and everything was quite taken in by the fact that he had fooled me and everything, and we had a chance to talk and everything, and and as it turned out, yes, he was. <laughs> I didn't find that out until after the banquet, of course, but uh, there was a reason he was so good at uh, decorating himself. So I think I might have been distracted by maybe my gaydar or something that was in, but he he looked good. He really looked good in that mini dress and everything and so on and so forth. But uh, it was really fascinating about the Brits, how they felt about gays in the military. I mean, technically, I guess it wasn't against the law. I'm not too sure, but they were very, very worried about it. Believe it or not, more worried about it than the Americans, if you can believe that, considering, you know, like they weren't shy at all. It wasn't considered at all unusual. Of course, you couldn't do it with somebody higher ranking than you, but if it was somebody the same rank or lower, you know, like I remember having to explain something. And uh, when I got done, you know, some Brit would say to me, mm, nice. And maybe, uh, throw me a kiss or something or walk around swiveling his his hips and it was all supposed to be done in fun and all that type of thing so folks i have three episodes left for this season which will bring me to a total of 30 episodes which to be honest with you really sucks because <laughs> i really should be having a minimum of 50 episodes in a season i'll try to do better and i'll try to keep my attention on an older gay guy show stuff rather than all the other crap i got going the last three shows of the season will be my long talked about asmr show and though i don't have it recorded yet but i'm optimistic an episode about dick size, and of course, don't miss part five from Sergeant Ron. And here is a little teaser for that episode. Reached behind him, grabbed him by one of the cheeks and started pulling him, you know, in my direction. And he, poor guy, he turned about three shades of white and just took off running. 
Also, please check out an Older Gay Guy Show YouTube channel. I have a very unusual story that I put on there last week. It's kind of funny and kind of really kind of creepy. And I shall have another video out later in this week. Meanwhile, this is Joey Hernandez wishing you all pleasant holidays, whichever you may celebrate. Thanks for joining me. Bye for now.